What's up, Hyperfast Nation? On this episode of the show, I sat down with a former mechanical engineer who left his W-2 job not once but twice to get into the real estate game where he is now doing it big with a model that is based on co-living. Uh, you know, it, it allows him to get more than double the revenue he would on most single family home rentals and he's getting thousands of dollars a door per month, not just a hundred or two hundred. Welcome to the show for Nando Corona. Welcome to the show today, Fernando. How are you doing? I'm good, man. It's uh, it's morning over here, Friday morning, and it's doing well. Awesome. Well, you're over on the West Coast, uh, but you invest everywhere out of state. So I think that's something that I'm excited to talk about to our listeners and viewers today. Like, you know, because a lot of people, I think, are afraid to do that, or maybe they just have never done it before. So you obviously can add some great insights to that. Before we jump into that and the other cool things you're going to teach our audience about today, why don't you give folks a little bit about your background? Yeah, so believe it or not, my background is actually mechanical engineering. Uh, that's what I got my degree in. Ooh, mech, mech and, e, huh? <laughs> yeah, mech e. And uh, so I, I did the whole thing, checked all the boxes. I worked with uh, companies like Tesla, SpaceX, and you know, traveled, did some stuff for engineering. But at the end of the day, it just wasn't the lifestyle that I wanted to live. I think I, right. I looked at, I looked at my director's lives or my CEO's lives, and I said, do I want that lifestyle? And, and my answer is no, like I didn't want that lifestyle. Mm. So I said, okay, well then what lifestyle do I want? Um, and so I just started writing down what lifestyle I wanted. And so that's how I got into entrepreneurship. From there, I started a few different businesses. Um, one, I mean, now obviously building up my real estate portfolio, building up cash flow. So that's kind of what the whole background and how we got to here. What, um, yeah. So what, what, was it like when you made that jump when you <laughs> left the corporate, you know, the corporate job? And, yeah. yeah. Was it, was it kind of like, you know, catching like how a surfer might feel when they, that moment when they, they catch the wave and you know, there's just something <laughs> cooler going on or how did, how did it feel? Oh, shit. So, you know, in, in my background, my parents are, my parents came from Mexico. So they came here like seeking out, I mean, their parents came here seeking out the American dream. And so I, I think my parents did a good job of like building up that American dream for us, for my brother and I. And so like we went to school, got a four-year degree, got a mechanical engineering job, got a good job out of college. So like life was good. And then I call my dad up and I'm like, hey, dad, like I'm thinking about, you know how you worked your whole life so I could have a better life and everything? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I'm quitting my job. <laughs> And he was like, what? What are you doing? And I said, no, nah, I, mean, I, I personally believe that I have kids. I have a kid. So parents job right now is to create opportunities that we didn't have. Hmm. And I think my dad did that. And like, he would have never thought that I would have quit my job to go live in Thailand for a month and then go work at a hostel in Barcelona for a few months, you know, and just travel the world because that opportunity wasn't given to him. And then now that it was given to like people in the U.S., who could actually do that um i took it 
And so that's that was the first time I quit. Uh, I ended up quitting two different W two jobs because uh, it's a, mm. it's a little bit of a process, right? Um, leaving a structured income to kind of go and build your own is is not easy, and sometimes you have to go back and then jump back in and stuff. So you, it's all good. What um, what do you think gave you the ability to you know finally do it for good? Like that second time you quit. You know, yeah, um, so I, I just got a promotion. Estate. Like how? Yeah, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, I, I just got a promotion. Um, they transferred me to a new division that they were opening up, and they said, "Hey, Fernando, you with this director and this VP of technology, we want you guys to start up a new division." Uh, and it's it was awesome. I did it for a year, and it was just throughout that year I realized that I was building somebody else's dream, and um, and I got a salary. You know, I was happy with with the salary and everything, but they, I didn't have a bonus. I didn't have an equity plan. I didn't have stock options. Like there wasn't all these things that the higher ups got because I was just young, and it, it wasn't just, it wasn't anything. Their policy was was not anything like offered to me because I didn't hold these like higher level positions, and I wouldn't have held those higher level positions for years. So I just asked myself, you know, I felt that pain of, man, I don't like this feeling of like not having control of my income. I don't like the feeling of not having control of my hours. I don't, it's just, I felt enough of that pain that said that the pain of me going on my own is less than the pain I'm feeling now, you know? Mm. And, and, and so that's, that's what happened. And I'm sure that's probably what happens with others. They get to a point where they're saying that it's, it's more risky to stay than it is for me to leave. Because in five years from now, I left when I was 27, five years from now, I'm gonna have a kid, I'm gonna have a family, I'm gonna have whatever. Would I have rather spent those five years building something that I can actually own or just building out somebody else's company? What does your real estate strategy look like now? High level overview. Yeah, so when we first started in real estate, I'm sure there's a lot of, a lot of listeners here that, are, that get told maybe it's like $100 per door. You want to do $100 per door or $300 per door. And for us, you know, like we're not made of like crazy money, uh, especially since I, I didn't even have a job. So we just wanted to think of a strategy that could get us $1,000 per door, right? Like instead of having 10 properties that could cash flow $1,000, like we just wanted one property that can cash flow $1,000. So we kept looking. And what we found were that in the East Coast, like in Tennessee or in Georgia, there are homes that have basements or they have split levels or they have like, it's, it's kind of like two stories, um, but not, not really, it's not classified as two stories on Zillow or like on the tax records. And they were converting these bottom units or these bottom basements into additional units. So now they would basically turn a single mm. family home into a, you know, two units or they were renting by the room. So for us, that's, that's what like we did. Like the co-living, co-living yeah. kind of arrangement? Yeah. Co-living, and they're targeting like the labor workers, right? They're targeting the people who don't, who don't mind, yeah, sharing these communal spaces um, right now, right? And they're paying, but they get so everything. So everyone gets a bedroom and they split the kitchen and the living room. Right. No, uh, not even the living yeah. room. They just split the okay. kitchen. Yeah. Okay. And so that that's the strategy. And believe it or not, uh, last month we hit... $5,700 in um, revenue, which is about $3,000 in net cash flow. And that was on one, one on one door, on one single family home that cost us $165,000. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like 
super yeah, high double digit cash on cash returns. Yeah, uh, very high. Uh, we're talking like over forty percent, and which is a uh, pretty pretty wild to do for exactly a single family home, and it's not an Airbnb. Uh, we didn't want to get into the Airbnb space. No offense to Airbnbers out there. I think Airbnb is cool. I mean, I stay at Airbnbs. I think they're they're dope. It's just a different type of lifestyle that we didn't want to live, right? We didn't want to be communicate. I mean, all that stuff. There's seasonality with Airbnb. Um, our average tenant stay on this properties are like 10 months. So that means we only have to turn the room once every 10 months. And then the level of service, right. the service is like they're, they're regular tenants. These are just people who, they're just people who need a place to live. It's more out of necessity than it is out of like a luxury. So it's, it's long-term tenant from a management operational uh, side, maybe the turnover is a little bit more than if it's like one family, you said 10 months, but you're getting returns on it that are consistent and maybe not quite as high as some short term rentals, but you know, somewhere in between that and the regular hundred, two hundred dollar a door thing, and uh, yeah, you know that you hear about on long term rentals, which is yeah, to get three thousand on one single family door is pretty crazy. The only way I've ever heard of of doing that or better is on Airbnb, and certainly not on a hundred. And you know, most people aren't getting that kind of money on like a $150,000 Airbnb. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. more usually more no. luxurious. So yeah, exactly. And, um, and we were, we're fully decking out the place in terms of like, uh, mm-hmm. we create, we have to build the eight rooms. We have to furnish. Yeah. How does, how does that work? Actually? What do you, what all, so what, what the, goes into that? Like you buy a house, it's a, you know, walk us through from when you buy it to. The, yeah. yeah, yeah. The so this is, I mean, this is right now we're using a company and I'm happy to share. It's called pad split P A D S P L I T pad split. These guys are in my opinion, like the, the OGs of this rent by the room model in terms of like software as a service to us. Mm-hmm. Like when Airbnb came out, like people were doing bed and breakfast, right? And that wasn't an, uh, not normal thing to do. Just like people were renting by the room to college kids and everything. But what Airbnb did is they basically like allowed it to get to the masses. And then now everybody had a platform that they could use like software as a service to be able to use their home as an Airbnb. So this company, PadSplit, it's not nothing novel where people rent by the room, that's house hacking. But what what this PadSplit company does is they, they allow a platform and they allow users to come become members on their platform. And then you bring your house up there. And then now there's like a way of payment, their background checks, like they do all that stuff for you. Um, they collect money and then they send it to you. So all that stuff's taken care of on PadSplit. So they have requirements. This is also a way for them to protect their the people that are on their like their members, right? I'm not. We're not mm-hmm. giving them closets as rooms. Like we're, we, there's a certain amount of square footage that we have to have in a house. You can only have four bedrooms to one bathroom, and they legitimately come in after we build and they have to like check off on everything, right? Does it have AC in every room? Is there a lamp or a light in every room? Is there like a nest, like, the, you know, ACs working, electricity, hot water, all that stuff. So that's what we're doing. We, we buy the property. Uh, there's two ways of, of buying these properties. You can either buy it already rent. I mean, fixed up in terms of like uh, it's a nice four bedroom, two bath. And then you buy it, let's say for 230 grand, you get in there, you buy it. And then you have to build the other four rooms 
you know, adjust the living room, add in the other AC vents to the rooms, put in electrical. Yeah, how are, how are you doing that? How do you go from four to eight? Yeah, so on the bedrooms, from, from where are you eight. adding? Is are you increasing the building footprint, or are you just using existing footage under roof? So remember how um, remember how I told you these are specific houses we look for that have a basement structure. So right. that so originally that bottom space isn't counted in the usually is not counted in the tax records. Like you'll see my house, okay. and it'll, see, it'll say nine hundred square feet, and people would be like, "How do you fit eight beds in a nine hundred square foot home?" It's like, well, you don't. <laughs> Yeah. it's because the bottom floor has the, another thousand square feet. So the top floor okay. will have four or five bedrooms and the bottom floor will have three to four bedrooms. Just depends on the, on the whole layout. Uh, and then the top floor will have a bathroom, bottom floor will have a bathroom. Hey, hold that thought for a minute. Do you want to take your real estate business to the next level? If you do, there's no reason to go it alone. Learn from people who've been where you want to go. Carrie and I have sold billions of dollars in real estate. We've netted over seven figures for seven years in a row now. And we want to see if you would be a good fit to work for us. We don't work with a lot of people, but we want to give you a chance to get on a free strategy call to see if we can help you get your business to the next level. Go to hyperfastcoach.com and apply for your discovery session today. Again, that's hyperfastcoach.com. And then do you, so the, the tenants are going to get a bedroom, maybe split a bath. Do they get, um, they get everything. What what kind of communal spaces are there? Yeah. What kind of communal spaces are They get two fridges. They get, you know, multiple trash cans. Um, they get the kitchen, but that's the only space. And we we do have a porch so they can go back if they want to, you know, have a porch and all that. Um, you know, they got it. Well, this is interesting, right? 50% 50% of the people who stay or more in our homes don't own a car. So we're also hmm. like intentionally trying to place ourselves near bus stops um, because we know that. And so there's parking on the street, obviously parking on the driveway, but we're more cognizant of trying to make sure we're near a bus stop so that they can access that. What, um, yeah, so then what, what else does that, that program uh pad split like okay so you know you you talked a little bit about that a little bit about buying getting to the eight rooms uh then what's the next step in terms of furnishing marketing you know filling filling yeah so pad split the reason why i mean they charge 12 percent per month of Mm -hmm. gross revenues and which people would say is a lot but they man they do so much in terms of marketing where within Within two weeks, I had six rooms booked of launch. This just happened like a month ago. We launched our, we launched another property, and uh, within two weeks, we had six rooms booked, and then within the third week, we had eight rooms booked, of our first launch. So that just goes to tell you that they are doing a great job with their marketing, that there is a demand mm-hmm. out there, and they're creating that demand, um, and then all we have to do is like fill it with supply. And then what? Um... What, what kind of fees do they charge? Do they charge like a, a commission or a monthly yeah. fee or how does, well, how does the cost structure charges work 12%. Um, mm-hmm. They charge a 12% like booking fee or, or management fee, I guess you could say. Like platform fee. We'll call it a platform fee. Okay. And it's just monthly, monthly of the gross revenues. And then we have our boots on the ground, property management out there. And we pay them 8%, but they, they're the ones that are handling all the communication with the, uh, with the tenants. And they handle like broken windows, whatever it is, right? They, they take so care of that. So your management is, yeah, management's included 
management and marketing. It really is included for you uh, and, and you're giving up 20% of gross. Uh, what, what kind of increase though, are you like on that specific example, what would it get if you just rented the whole house out the traditional method versus where it's at in this model? Yeah, we'd, we'd probably make 2,500 bucks. Um, mm-hmm. if we rented it out, you know, regularly, we'd save 12%, but yeah, right. we'd probably we'd get, but then now you went, you went from 25 to what was the 57. To fifty, so you so you gave up twelve percent, but you more than doubled. So, seems like yeah. a, a no brainer there on that, right? Yeah, exactly. Especially if you're out of state, because for us, we're just looking to scale, right, or get into more of these. Um, and yeah, I want everybody to eat. I think there's enough on the table for everybody to eat. I even told my property manager they would charge me five percent when we first got them, when they uh, we started working mm-hmm. with them, and I said, I think you guys are charging me too little. Like uh, I I want you guys to to take more. Um, or I want to pay for your guys' dinners, you know, because I want them to, to really, um, there, there's no reason why everybody can't get a piece of the pie. Like there's enough out there. Right. What, um, what, what do you think is important when you're, when you're doing this out of state? Cause a lot of people are afraid of out of state, both on like becoming an expert in that market to, to know what to buy and on the management standpoint. Now you talked a little bit about the management side, but then how do you go into a market that is, you know, yeah, hundreds, thousands of miles away and become knowledgeable and, you know, find and, and execute on buying a good deal. How do you yes, do that? It, it depends on the experience level for sure. But, um, okay. there, cause there's two people that, that you can, you know, connect with on the ground and uh, the real estate agents are really going to be the biggest help. Um, that's on the front end, but n- not every time are you going to be buying from the MLS. Right. But still a, re- a real estate agent for me is like an advisor, like a really good real estate agent is somebody who's going to tell you what zip codes are solid, what zip codes to stay away from, uh, where they see growth happening within the area. And that's exactly what we had. So we, now we buy in Atlanta and we found an agent who was an investor. And so that gave us ma- like massive confidence. He already owned a pad split. Like he owned one of these. He owned multifamilies. He had long-term rentals. Like mm-hmm. he was in it. So he had property. Ma- he already knew property managers. He knew contractors. Like he, he knew plumbers, right? He, he already had his team built. So when I was, when I was looking for an out-of-state market and I was looking for a strategy like connecting with that agent was a total game changer. And then since then, you know, I've referred him like a ton of business to all my friends who are investing out of state. And I mean, I continue to work with him. So that, that's what do you, probably, what do you, you know, what's up? we get a lot of real estate agents that listen to the show, obviously a lot of real estate investors as well. But it, if, if you're a real estate agent, right. Listening to this, like what would you tell that person about what they need to do and what they need to be knowledgeable about and aware of to attract out-of-state investors like yourself. Yeah, so the biggest thing is decide who you wanna work with. You know, Do you wanna work with investors? And if you wanna work with investors, then you should be an investor. And because that's, that's why you're gonna know their pain points, especially, so you become an investor, you test out Airbnb, you test out travel nurse, midterm rentals, or whatever, your rent, rent by the rooms, you start to build out your own investment portfolio, you post about it, and then you become the go-to in, uh, real estate agent for out-of-state investors, right? Mm-hmm. And you share those testimonials. 
Um, because, you know, as an out-of-state investor, like, I don't want to go to another agent. Like, why would I waste my time interviewing another agent? Like, I feel so comfortable and secure with, with the one that I have. Um, so that's really it. But you have to decide, like, who you want to work with. Because, right, not, not every agent wants to work with investors or out-of-state investors. Um, and then from there, the more experience you have and, you know, the more knowledgeable you are, you become the advisor. Or you really do become the trusted advisor. Does it matter to you? I think you kind of answered this already, but um, yeah. like, does it, does it make a big difference to you if the agent personally owns the type of investment properties that you're looking for? Not the type of investment properties so much as okay. like they're an investor. We've, we've worked with, we've entered markets where we tried. Um, we found a really nice agent. She's, she's super nice. She's like, she's super kind hearted but she she's not an investor and mm -hmm. at, at first we were like okay well i mean we, we really like her we like her, her responsiveness let's just let's try working with her um but it, it started to become like we had to really advise her and we had to coach her um especially she didn't like, have the investor mindset she didn't have the investment mindset yeah. and she was and so she would like bring us properties like oh here's this and here's this and we're just like okay you know but we, we, and then we had to like talk numbers, right? Cause that terms like cash ROI, right? Cash on cash return, like cash ROI, right? Like some of these terms that she, she wasn't aware of. Um, we talk about ARV or whatever it is. There's, there's this terminology that you pick up when you are an investor. And so as an agent, you know, picking up that terminology is, I mean, you can either do it by doing it yourself or just really working with a lot of out of state investors. Uh, but mm. like, why not? Why? Like as a real estate agent, you get access probably to off market properties and you get access to the properties on the MLS. Like why not be an investor? Why not build your own passive income portfolio? Hey, hold that thought for a minute. Do you have a client that needs to buy or sell a home in the DMV area? Then why not trust the highest selling team in the DMV, the Carrie Scholl team? We've helped thousands of buyers and sellers and would love to help your clients. And we guarantee we will save them time, money, and stress throughout the process. And they will be so grateful that you referred them to us. Go to carryshoal.com to learn more. Again, that's carryshoal.com to learn more about sending us your clients that need to buy or sell a home in the DMV area. That's carryshoal.com. I, yeah, I kind of see it as a double-edged sword because, like, I, I want that agent to have that first-hand knowledge. Like, I don't want to have to educate them on, you know, what's important as an investor, right? Uh, but if they're, if they're doing it at a high level locally, then I'm also a little worried, well... You know, are they going to like send me the really good deals or are they going to keep it for themselves or, you know, right? So there's like kind of that concern out there too. And I'm, I'm not saying either is right or wrong, just kind of like spitballing here. Yeah. I think that's going to come down to the mindset of abundance or the mindset of scarcity at times. But, yeah. But I get what you're saying. Cause some, I mean, that, that's how people could feel about sharing this information, right? Like this information that I'm sharing with everybody, I'm, I'm happy to share it. But there's people like, oh my gosh, I don't want to share this because then everybody's going to do it. It's going to become overly saturated and then now I'm not going to get the gains that I, I know I can get, right? That's like, right. like, I don't want to work with that agent anyways. Like that's such a scarcity mindset as opposed to the agent that says there's enough for everyone. Like I live right, in right. abundance. 
Um, and that's up to character. That's on character, you know, because I'm, I'm sure there are agents out there that could be like that. And then there are agents out there that are just like, nah, man, there's enough. There's enough for everyone. Yeah. So you really need someone that I think does have that investor mindset also has the mindset of abundance. Uh, yeah. Are you are you still buying now? Are you guys taking yeah. a pause? Are you worried about what's going on in the market at all? We've, we've seen transaction uh, volume slow down, prices still going up, al- although not quite as much as they were six months ago or a year yeah. ago. But like, what's, what's your take on where the market is now and what investors should be looking at uh, right now? So for us, right, just because we have that, that unique strategy, we're still hitting, you know, 1500 like when I run my numbers, we're hitting $1,500 mm-hmm. net cash flow um, at like 6.75% interest. So you yeah. just have to get creative with your financing. There are 40-year mortgages with first 10 years um, interest only. So if you're trying to you know, optimize cash flow and then sit on a property, then if you don't mind that, it's all up to people's strategy. Uh, for me, I'd rather get into properties that already cash flow right now. And then in three to five years, I can just refinance. Because for me, that if, if I can still hit over $1,000 of cash flow on a property, even in today's market, that's that's all I'm worried about. I know that in the long term, it doesn't matter if it goes down 20%. Like I'm still cash flowing what I want to cash flow today. And then so and then if it goes I know it's going to go back up to where it's at or over in the next 10 plus years and so I'm not holding it to to only hold for 2 2 years. That makes sense. Yeah, no, we're definitely telling people like find the great deals uh, and and date the rate, marry the house, right? If if right. if you get in, it's a good deal and it cash flows now. It doesn't really matter that you were if you were at three versus six. Cash flows, cash flow, right? If you if you have it, great. If yep. rates go down, you can refinance. If they yep. go up, well, you're locked in at the lower you're rate. Locked so. in the lower rate. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So I, I love uh, that mindset. <laughs> on that too. Like you never know, right? We um we got a HELOC on a property, and you know we we originally got a variable rate of three point seven five, and people would be like, "Oh my gosh, that's amazing," you know. But but we made the choice, like we're gonna lock in this rate at, and we had if for us to lock in a HELOC rate, we would have had to lock it at five percent. And some mm. people would be like, "Well, why would you do that? Why would you go from three point seven five to five percent? Because if you know HELOCs are variable rates." And so if the market changes, then the rates go up. And so that's exactly what happened because we, we knew the rates were, go, were starting to go up. Um, right now, the, the lowest HELOC you can get is like over 5%. And that's variable. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah, because it's prime, which is 475, usually plus a spread. So exactly, um, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, and it's so, probably going to go up again in you know, the next rate hike. Probably, it'll probably be close to six, you know, by the time this podcast goes live. <laughs> Yeah, so, so it, there is a combination of um, of knowing, like, yeah, we, we made that prediction. It was a, it, some people would have seen it as a risk, like, oh, you're paying higher interest. But hey, our, our numbers worked. I'm very comfortable paying 5% for that HELOC because of, of how we're making the money work for us. Um, I don't want to pay more than that. Um, this has been amazing, by the way. I love, I love what you're doing and how you're getting higher rents. Uh, I think I think more and more people should look at this model. Before we wrap up, I always like to end with a hyper fast round. If you're ready for some rapid fire Q and A, I'm ready. All right, let's do it. All right. What's your biggest piece of advice to a new real estate investor? 
Uh, you got to change the the talk within first mindset. Mm. So listen to the right people: Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins, uh, maybe Bigger Pockets podcast, Dan. So you got to get the right people in your head and then make moves. All right. Uh, what's a common mistake you see experienced investors make? Oh shoot! Experienced investors <laughs> thinking yeah. thinking that things will be the same. All right. What's the biggest challenge, biggest challenge you've ever had in business and how did you overcome it or what did you learn from it? Man. So people talk about separating business from personal. I just, at my, I'm only 30, but I just don't think that's, that's possible. You know, business is personal and personal life affects your business. And so, um, the hardest thing for me has been to try to build a business while also building a family. Um, they, they bleed into each other. You, you put too much time in business. It's going to affect your family. You put too much time in your family. It's going to affect your business. So finding that balance, I'm still working on it. All right. When you're not working on your real estate business, what would we most likely find you doing? Building sandcastles with my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, last question. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? And 10 years from now, um, I want to have, shoot, 10 years from now, I want to be playing in the games of... Um, it's going to sound weird, but maybe like, uh, in my head, I'm thinking of like development in other countries. I want to mm -hmm. be in that game. I want to be like, uh, either building hotels, building infrastructure, building communities in other countries, um, having that opportunity to be you know at the table, uh, either with, with partner investors or, or something like that. Like that's, that's kind of where, I, where I see it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. If people want to connect with you, uh, learn more about what you do, what are the best ways for them to do that? Yeah, I think the easiest is just Instagram or TikTok. Um, if you guys use TikTok, so right there at it's Fernando Corona. You can find me either on Instagram or TikTok. And then, yeah, shoot me a DM, a follow, and we'll, we'll connect from there. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Fernando. To all of our listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in. Please leave us feedback and share this with other people that you think could benefit from listening or watching as well. We will see you next time. All right. Thanks, Dan. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure and go to hyperfastagent.com to learn about upcoming in-person and online events. And don't forget to share this show with someone that you think could benefit from hearing it and make sure you subscribe on YouTube or anywhere that you can find podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests and improve our shows. So give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show and we will see you next time. Hey guys, thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you enjoyed that video and if you want to see more, click right here. And if you want 100 real estate tips from my best-selling book, click right here to download them instantly. And if you're new to this channel, click below to subscribe.